Well, hey, if you're just joining us, my name is Brooke Lee. I'm an author and teacher, and we are continuing in our series, Hope Rising, talking today about how to hope. Several years ago, my husband, when he was in college, he and a couple of his buddies went out to this lake in Colorado, and they asked one of their friend's dads if they could take their sailboat out. None of them were really, had spent much time around boats, but they thought it'd be really fun to go out on the open water. And so they took the sailboat out on Grand Lake in Colorado. And if you've been around boats, it was just one of those perfect days, perfect boating days. There was no wind, there was no waves, the sun was out. There was practically no other boats on the water. And so these guys sailed out into the middle of the lake and just had a blast. They were jumping in the water, they were hanging out, they were playing in the sun. Well, then it came time to about mid-afternoon. And, you know, as college guys do, they were tired, they were sleepy, and so they wanted to take a nap. And they thought, hey, everything seems really calm out here. And they thought, we can just go into one of the cabins and take a nap, right? We don't have to do anything to secure our boat in place. We can just go into the cabin and take a nap. And so they did. Well, about an hour later, my husband woke up and he came to the top deck of the boat and he looked out and he realized that they were about 10 feet away from hitting the rocky shore. And so not knowing what to do, he actually jumped into the water and with all of his strength, he tried to keep the boat from hitting the shore. He slowed it down a little bit, but eventually, in a sort of anticlimactic kind of way, the boat actually ran aground. It ran into these rocks, and they had to eventually get the boat fixed. But these guys learned an important boating lesson that day. You see, they learned that if you put a boat in the water, it's going to drift. That even if the water seems really calm, even if there are no winds or waves, even if that rocky shore seems impossibly far away, the boat, if it's in the water, is going to drift. Drifting is a boat's default setting. And the reason why I share this story is because the same is actually true for you and I. Our default setting in life is to drift. We pretty quickly and quite naturally drift into things that are terrible for us or harmful to us. We drift into things like isolation or busyness or selfishness or shame or pride or hopelessness. We drift into these things that hurt us because our natural default setting in life is to drift. We will drift because this is how we are wired, whether it's the culture or our tendencies as humans, all of these things woven together will cause us to drift. And so then the question becomes, if we do not want to drift, then what do we hold on to to keep from drifting? How do we keep ourselves from crashing into the rocky shore or being swept away by the currents of our culture? How do we keep from drifting? Well, this is where these boats behind me come into play. You see, these boats behind me have a part on them that keeps them from drifting. And if you are an avid boater, then you know exactly what part I'm talking about. And even if you aren't, you may know what part I'm talking about. That part is an anchor. An anchor is what keeps a boat from drifting. An anchor is this incredibly heavy object, usually with one or two hooks on the side of it, and it's attached to a rope or a chain attaching to a boat, and it keeps a boat in place. It keeps a boat stable, firm, secure. An anchor is what keeps a boat from drifting. And the truth is, if you and I do not want to drift, well, then we too need an anchor. If we do not want to be swept away by the currents in our culture or by our natural human tendencies, then we need an anchor to hold on to, an anchor that is going to keep us firm and secure. And so then it begs the question, what is our anchor?
What do we hold on to? What do we attach ourselves to to keep from drifting? Well, there's a book in the Bible. It's the book of Hebrews. And in this book, I love this because the author actually addresses this question head on. He answers this question pretty directly. He says this, the author of Hebrews in chapter six, verse 19, he says this. He says, we have this hope. Can y'all say this hope with me at home? Shout it out to your TV or your phone or your computer. The author says, we have this hope as what? As an anchor for the soul. And then he goes on, firm and secure. So what keeps us from drifting? What anchor do we hold on to to keep from drifting? Hope. Hope anchors our soul. Hope is what keeps us steady and secure, firm, stable. Hope is the anchor for our souls. You know, as long as I can remember, my family and I, we spent so much time out on the water. I have so many memories growing up of being out on some form of boat, on some body of water. And my parents still to this day love going out on the open water. And one of their favorite things to do is actually here in Mission Bay to take their boat, leave the harbor and go over to one of the coves called Mariner's Cove. And they love to drop anchor and spend anywhere from one to three days out on this kind of open body of water. They love to go with some of their friends and they all anchor up and have a great time. Well, several months ago, they did this. They took their boat over to Mariner's Cove and they spent the day paddleboarding and having fun in the sun. And then it came night and they did what they always do, which is they went into one of their cabins to go to sleep. Well, at about 3.30 in the morning, my dad woke up. You see, he's an avid boater and he could feel that the boat was drifting a little more than it should have been drifting for being anchored. And so he gets to the top of the boat and he looks out and he realizes that they're about ready to crash into another boat. And so he quickly gets behind the steering wheel to maneuver the boat away from hitting this other boat. You see, in the middle of the night, the winds had kicked up to about 30 to 40 miles per hour. And they caused, those winds caused the anchor to come loose, making the boat no longer secure or stable. You see, I think a lot of people think that if you're just attached to an anchor, you can just throw it overboard and then that anchor is going to keep you in place, right? No, but when I was asking my dad, my dad said this, well, there's an art to setting an anchor. You have to set the anchor properly in order for the anchor to hold. And not only do you have to set it properly, but you actually have to set it for the projected forecasted weather conditions. You see, when he set his anchor for that day, he set it for normal conditions. Usually there's no wind out on the water at night. He didn't know that there was going to be winds that would kick up that extreme, causing his anchor to come loose. And so because he set it for normal conditions, he didn't set it for the forecasted weather conditions. Well, this caused the anchor to come loose and it caused the boat to drift. You see, just because a boat is attached to an anchor doesn't do the boat a whole lot of good. The anchor has to be set properly. The anchor has to be set for the projected forecasted weather conditions if you want that anchor to hold. And you guys, the same is true for you and I. Just us being attached to hope only does us so much good. We have got to set our hope properly. We have got to know how to set that hope and how to set it for the projected life forecasted conditions that are going to come our way if we want our anchor to hold. And so then I think you know where I'm going. What question do we ask then? Well, how do we set our hope properly, right? 
How do we not just keep hope as this idea out there, something great that we like to talk about, but how do we actually grab hold of that hope, set that hope so that it becomes manifested in our lives? Well, in order for us to answer that question, we have to actually jump back to that book of Hebrews, to the very same chapter, chapter six, where the author told us that hope anchors our soul. Because just before the author tells us that hope anchors our soul, guess what? He actually tells us how to set that hope how to practically set our hope. And so we're going to get into that and we're going to read it. But before we jump into this passage that we're going to read, I want to give some background on the book of Hebrews because the context here is really, really important. So the book of Hebrews was written actually to a group of Jewish converts. Jesus died, he rose, he ascended to heaven. And now here were people that used to follow the Jewish law. And now they believed in Jesus. They no longer believed that following Jewish law was their way to salvation. They now believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, the only way to their salvation. But because they believed this, because they no longer followed Jewish law, which is what they grew up in, and they now believed in Jesus, well, they faced major persecution because of this. Many of them were losing possessions, property. So many of them were being ripped apart and cast out by their families. Some of them, their reputations were being completely disgraced. And all of this persecution that they were facing, guess what it was causing them to do? To drift. They were drifting into hopelessness, drifting into discouragement. Some of them were even in danger of abandoning their faith in Jesus because of the persecution. Some of them were considering, let's just go back to Jewish law. Let's just kind of leave this whole Jesus thing because this is so hard. And so then we understand here that the author of Hebrews, what he is setting out to do is to encourage, encourage these drifting Jewish converts to hold on to hope, to hold on to their faith, to not let go of it. And so here's what he does for the first five chapters of Hebrews. You know what he does? Over and over again, he just talks about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. It's like he's reminding them of who they believe in, of who their hope is in. He's saying, you guys, Jesus is greater, far greater than anyone or anything. Jesus is supreme. He is sufficient. He is the only way. So he's just pointing them to Jesus. He's pointing them to who their hope is in. Jesus is our hope. And he's drawing their attention to that over and over again. This is a lot of what Scott talked about last week. And then he gets about midway through chapter six, after talking about the greatness of Jesus, and he starts to tell them how practically to set their hope in Jesus, what they are to do to set their hope in Jesus. And the way that he does this is in somewhat of a, can be confusing or sort of backwards kind of way. And so I want to unpack it for us. So he's talking about the greatness of Jesus, and then he gets into how to set their hope, and he brings up this guy, Abraham which can feel a little bit confusing. Like, why is he talking about this guy, Abraham? Now, Abraham, for any of you who don't know, was sort of like an Old Testament celebrity. He was like one of the greats of the Old Testament. And remember, the recipients of the Hebrews letter, they grew up in the Jewish customs. So when this guy said Abraham, they knew exactly who he was talking about and they knew his full story. So he brings up this guy, Abraham, but he doesn't just bring up Abraham. He actually brings up a promise that God made to Abraham. He brings up this promise that God had made to Abraham. In Hebrews 6.13, the author says this, When God made his promise to Abraham, 
Since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, here's the promise, I will surely bless you, Abraham, and give you many descendants. So God makes this promise to Abraham. He actually made a promise and an oath. That's what it means when it says there was no one greater for him to swear by. So he makes this promise and this oath to Abraham that Abraham is going to have many descendants. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, then you know that this possible, this promise seemed impossible. Because Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they were in their 70s when God made this promise. And they had struggled for years and years with infertility. They tried over and over again to get pregnant, and it simply didn't work. And so then now, all of a sudden, on this random day in their 70s, God shows up and promises Abraham this seemingly impossible thing, that he's not going to have just one child, but he's going to have many descendants. It would have been laughable, you guys. In fact, we read in scripture that Sarah did laugh at this promise. For a couple in their 70s who had struggled with infertility to have many descendants would have seemed impossible. Well, about 10 years after God spoke this promise, Abraham and Sarah, they conceive, they give birth to a child, and the couple goes on to have many children, many descendants. Hebrews 6, 15 says, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. So what is the author doing here? Why is he bringing up this age-old story of Abraham? Why is he telling the readers about this? What is he trying to get at? You see, the author is trying to remind the readers of this seemingly impossible promise that God fulfilled. This seemingly impossible promise that God fulfilled. The story of Abraham is one of God coming through on his word. It's one of God making a promise and fulfilling that promise. And what he is doing here, what the author is trying to teach the readers is that how you set your anchor of hope is by clinging to the promises of God. How you set your anchor of hope is by clinging to the promises of God. You see, the author is reminding these discouraged drifting, hopeless Jewish converts that God is a God who will come through on his word. And so if you need hope, if you need to set your anchor of hope, then we've got to look back to the promises of God. We've got to cling to those promises of God because God is a God who will come through on his word. I'll never forget years ago when my mentor was unpacking the promises of God for the first time to me. You see, when I heard promises of God, I thought, well, these are promises for that person at that time. I didn't know that the Bible was filled with promises spoken directly to me, that I could cling to promises for me. And so not only was she helping me discover these promises, but she put it this way. She said, Brooke, if you look in scripture and you find a promise that God has spoken, well, then you can take it to the bank because God cannot lie. So if there is a promise in scripture that God has promised to you, he will fulfill it. He will come through on his word. You can cling to that promise as your hope. This is exactly what the author of Hebrews is getting at. He's teaching the readers how to set their hope. Yes, hope anchors our soul. But remember, just being attached to hope only does us so much good. We've got to know how to set that hope. And the way that we set that hope is by clinging to the promises of God. And so this is what I want for you and I this week and in weeks to come and in months to come. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to look all throughout scripture, 
all throughout the Bible, and I want us to discover these promises. We're going to have a list of these promises in the Grace Church app that you can go through. And maybe I might just suggest to you to pick one or a few that really resonate with you, that you need right now, promises from God. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to write them out. Whether it's in your journal or in your phone, I want you to write them out. I want you to insert your name into the promise as God is speaking the promise directly to you. I want you to study the promise. Here in this scripture, this story of Abraham is so rich and deep in history of what this promise meant. I want you to study the promise, research it, understand it. And then I want you to believe it. I want you to believe that if God has spoken a promise, he will fulfill that promise. He will come through on his word. And by doing this, by clinging to the promises of God, we can rest assured that our anchor of hope will be set. And as the winds of this life kick up, as they will, as they are right now, as the winds kick up, we can rest assured that our anchor is going to hold because we have set our anchor properly in the promises of God. I see it like this, you lose your job. And instead of drifting into discouragement or apathy or distraction, you instead cling to the promise in Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, hey, I have good plans for your future. Or maybe you are just burnt out from nonstop parenting. And instead of drifting into agitation or rage or trying to numb yourself, you cling to the promise that Jesus made in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, where he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Or maybe you lose somebody that you love, that you hold dear. And instead of drifting into numbing yourself out or intense, overwhelming, unstoppable grief, you instead cling to the promise in Romans 8, 28, where God says that he will work all things, not just some things, but all things for good. Listen, hope exists absolutely. And it exists in the person of Jesus. But we've got to know how to set that hope if we want that hope to be an anchor for our souls. And the way that we set that hope is by clinging to the promises of God. So will you join me, church? Will you join me in clinging to these promises of God? I want you to hear a story of a couple who faced a nearly impossible situation. Every parent's worst nightmare. And I want you to hear how they not only found hope and hope in Jesus, but also how they set their hope on the promises of God. And this story is especially meaningful to me because these are my parents. Take a listen. Nine years ago, September 13th, 2011, was the worst day of our lives. Jim and I received news that no parent ever wants to get. A coroner came to our house to tell us that our beautiful daughter, Lauren, age 28, died of a heroin overdose. Um, I kind of find it uh, surprising and, and uh, almost out of place that uh, I'm even here addressing a church because uh, 10 years ago, before my daughter died, um, I didn't have much of a faith. I, I, uh, was glad that my wife was exposing my my girls to uh, to God, but um, um, I was just kind of I was just kind of drifting, and and really didn't have uh, or made God a priority in my life. And then this uh, this story unfolds, but um, 
my, my, when my, our daughter came into our life, um, we, we had, as any parents do, big hopes and dreams for this beautiful little girl to uh, grow up in a, a happy, um, fun, life-filled experience. But uh, we just couldn't give her everything that she needed. Um, and, uh, and we're so glad that God stepped in and, and um, became a big part of our life and her life. So if you would have asked me um, if I could go on living, if either one of my daughters died, I would have given you a resounding no. Um, yet here we are, uh, how, you know? Um, God has proven so faithful throughout the years and throughout just carried us through these dark, dark days. But even more than that, um, he has given us hope. I always knew about God. Um, I believed in God, um, but I never ever really knew how much he actually loved me and that I could really count on him and have a, a, a dependent, intimate relationship with him. Days after Lauren died, um, I was laying on her bed and I was asking God, I was actually demanding to God that I needed to know where she was and that he had her. The days before Lauren died were very dark days for her and, and I wasn't sure about her faith. And it was very scary for me. And God was so tender as I got up from that bed crying out to him. I looked down and her journal was on the floor. So I picked it up and randomly or as God would have it, I opened the page to a letter written to God from Lauren. And in her handwriting, she asked Jesus into her life. And she thanked God for sending Jesus to die on the cross for her sins. And she received him in her heart, knowing that she would spend eternity with him. For the very first time, for the very first time, I knew that God heard me and that he loved me and that he would provide for me. And in that moment, I knew what was ahead, such darkness, but I knew I didn't have to do it alone. And I knew God would be with me if I let him. And so that's what I did every morning. His mercies are new every morning. I would, and I claimed, and I clung to that promise. And, and I, I, provide, I just handed him the broken pieces of my heart. And I clung to what he told me in his word every promise. I put my name in there and I at first I forced myself to believe it but over time I believed it. And don't get me wrong like this was not an easy process. It was hard and laborious and um, I, I, I brought you know God didn't just come one morning and just say here you go I'm gonna give you a heap of hope here. It didn't happen like that. Um, I brought him my fears, my doubts, my sorrow, my guilt. Why didn't, I, did I do enough for Lauren? Could I have saved her? What did I do wrong, God? And that was the hardest part to let go of, but God healed me from that too because I brought him to him. I'm so grateful for those moments. I call them my sacred moments where I felt the closest to God that I ever have. I felt his presence and he carried me through. And without that time, I don't, I wouldn't be here. I'm just going to say that. I wouldn't be here. And um, it's what he infused the hope 
in my heart is, is how I was able to go on living. So when we were uh, hit with this terrible event, losing our daughter and me without a strong faith, I had a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, questions and, and I was scared. Um, you, you would think my first reaction would be to curse God and run as far away from God as I could. But uh, knowing my daughter's heart and uh, seeing how God stepped in and uh, with his mercy and grace took her out of her pain. Um, the family was in turmoil. Uh, this was a six year battle with her addiction and a lot of bad things happened during that time and uh, it needed to be fixed and I couldn't fix it. So I watched everything unfold. I watched the destruction and, uh, and then God stepped in and, and took her home. It gave me hope to be able to go on and, and live a life and watch my family be restored. Gave me, gave me a reason to, to go on living. And, and uh, now I'm fast forward to me being baptized 10 days after she died. And uh, she was there with us. Um, we had her ashes and she, um, she was right, uh, Shelly and I were actually baptized together, but she was present and sitting right up on the baptismal and uh, it was a, just an awesome, awesome experience for me just to, to feel a big sigh of relief that this was over and she was in a better place. Mm -hmm. And another really answer to prayer um, Brooke and I have been praying for Jim for many, many years for his salvation. And God proved faithful in this time, in the most desperate time of our lives. Um, I don't know that we would have made it without that right now. And it's really enriched our marriage and made it more intimate, you know. So hope to me is not a flimsy wish where we cross our fingers and hope it's gonna happen, but it's really that confident anchor in God and his word, that confident expectation that he will do what he says, and, and that's what he's done. And I think if we were left to our own devices, uh, having to exp go through this experience, it could have gone, it could have gone the other way pretty easily, but uh, again, God stepped in as he does and offered us this hope and anchored us to him. We were forced to look for some way out and uh, of this pain and um, God gave us that. I mean, if we didn't have that, we could have, uh, we could have still been out there drifting and uh, possibly even sunk. So um, I'm really grateful that God not only gave, has given us our lives back, but he wanted good for us and he's given us more than our lives back. Um, our lives are rich in hope rich in joy, rich in deep friendships, deeper than we've ever had in our family. A, a verse that we cling to, one that God gave us when we were planning Lauren's memorial, 
is John 16, 19, where Jesus comes and he says, in a little while, you will see me again. And so we're reminded of that. Uh, we even have a plaque that Brooke made us in our home in a little while. And it reminds us that um, we will spend eternity with Jesus and Lauren. Listen, we will drift. And hope is what keeps us from drifting. But we've got to know how to set that hope in order for it to hold. And we set that hope by clinging to the promises of God. Maybe you are in a hopeless situation right now. Maybe you are facing something that seems impossible and you are in desperate need of hope. Jesus is your hope. And if you have never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that right now. I want to invite you to ask Jesus to come into your heart. He is your hope and Jesus doesn't promise an easy life, but he promises that he will be with you. And he promises a whole lot of good things in our Bible that we get to cling to. And so in just a minute, I'm going to pray and I want to invite you to pray with me if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. Church, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being our hope. Thank you that when this world gets overwhelming, when our head spins, when everything feels out of control, that you are an anchor that holds us, that you are our hope. God, thank you for the Bible. Thank you that we have this tool that we get to turn to, to read about your promises so that we can cling to them, so that we can set our hope. God, for anybody right now that is feeling this nudging within them to receive you, Jesus, I just want to lead them in this prayer. So pray with me if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus, I know that I have messed up. I know that I have fallen short, that I have made mistakes. I need you as my savior. I need you as my hope. So will you come into my heart right now? Will you transform my life? Will you give me hope? I receive you as Lord and savior. I recognize that you died on the cross for my sins, for my mistakes, for my shortcomings. Thank you for that grace. I receive it and I accept you as Lord and savior. And God, for all of us, for all of us, would you help illuminate a promise that you want to speak directly to us? And will you help us begin to cling to that promise, begin to set our hope on your word? Because you are a God who will come through on your word. And we thank you and we praise you for being that kind of God. We love you and we praise you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.